Welcome to the Teachers Podcast, in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life-work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone and thanks for listening. In this episode, I interviewed Jade Rayner Poppleton, one of my colleagues at Classroom Secrets. Jade has been with us a few months, so with a rapidly growing team, it was good to sit down and get to know her better. A year before joining us at Classroom Secrets, Jade and her now husband moved abroad for two years to teach. I thought this would be a great topic to cover, as I often see teachers talking about it in the Facebook groups and it being suggested as a solution to someone's life-work balance problems. I wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth, as it were, and find out about Jay's experience to give you some valuable insights. Let's get to the interview. So Jay, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast. No, thank you for having me. Um, I know that you've travelled such a long way to get here, just walking down the steps with me from upstairs at Classroom Secrets. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to do this interview because um, I feel like it follows on from last week's interview, which was on EAL. Um, and so before I kind of launch into exactly what we're going to talk about, do you want to give me a backstory of your journey into teaching and what you've done in teaching so people know? Yeah, so uh, when I was younger, I wanted to be a music teacher because I played guitar in a band. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went on to think, actually, I want to be an English teacher because I loved English at school. Mm-hmm. Then decided maybe primary because I get to do a bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Then kind of went off piece a little bit and wanted to do journalism for a, a year or so. But then I just came back to wanting to be a teacher. So eventually after leaving my first university degree, I decided to go to London to do my PGC in Greenwich, mm-hmm. where I did primary with science as a specialism. And after um and ahhing about whether or not to stay down south or come back up north, I decided to come back up and live with my mum for a bit and mm-hmm. uh, go into teaching there. So I got a job working in Wakefield. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that for two years and then after two years, me and my now husband, then boyfriend, decided let's go abroad and try that for a bit. So we did that for two years and then came back last August and then did a year's teaching in Rotherham. Now I'm here. Excellent. Okay, so which country did you actually teach in? Thailand. Thailand, right, okay. Now I've got lots and lots of uh, questions from the team. So I haven't been able to um, put their names on all of them because kind of lost in translation. Um, but I know that you've seen seen all the questions that the team have, have asked. They've been very interested in Yes, this. lots of good questions. Um, yeah, and I think it is, I do see that on the Facebook groups a lot where people will be talking about, um, you know, whether it's better to teach abroad or not, whether it affords you more of a life-work balance, so hopefully we'll cover off some of that as well. Mm-hmm. I know there's quite an interest. And I think sometimes it's more the intrigue of what you don't know as well. Yeah. Um, of what people are interested in. So, so is it just Thailand that you taught in then? Yeah. Okay. And what age range did you teach when you were there? I just taught year five. Just year five? Just year there. five, both both years was there, And yeah. when you were in England, what... Um, I started teaching in year six. So I did two years year six then moved, did two years, year five, and then last year I did year four. So 
lots of key stage lots two experience. Lots of key experience. stage two, yeah. Um, so did you only teach English as a second language or did you teach all the subjects together? No, so it was uh, all the subjects together. Uh, basically, I was doing the job that I was doing in the UK abroad. So right, okay. covering all the subjects, apart from the ones where the school had specialist teachers mm-hmm. to cover those subjects. Yeah, okay. Um, so how did you even find the job? So uh, when we'd actually made the decision to move abroad, we went on the TES website. Luke had got a friend who had moved abroad previous and he was constantly saying, look on there, that's where the jobs will be. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't wrong, there was loads from all different countries. Um, so we just decided, right, let's choose a handful of countries that we think we would like to live in mm-hmm. and just send out applications, CVs, whatever, and, and see what comes back. So I think we sent uh, a couple off to Thailand, a couple to Vietnam. Uh, we sent a few uh, to a few countries in Europe, Italy, I think, and maybe Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few, like, there was lots of jobs for Kuwait mm-hmm. and Qatar. Yeah. And we ummed and ahed and thought, mm, we're not really sure because there might be quite a big cultural yeah. difference there. So we sort of put them to one side, but we know people now that have been there and, and it's a great experience there as well. Mm-hmm. So we put his name into as many hats as we thought we could and waited to see what come back um, and then eventually we got a reply from a school in Vietnam and the school in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Why Why did you decide Thailand would be a good place or you know the, the group of countries that you chose? Well uh, Luke had been travelling um, a few years before he actually started teaching and had been to Thailand and you know knew what it, it was a really nice place to be. It had lots of, you know, lovely beaches. It was a fairly cheap country to live in or well-being. So from his experience, he was like really excited about the prospects of working anywhere really in East Asia. Mm-hmm. So um, I kind of just was along for the ride. Went almost. along with it. Yeah, yeah, went yeah. along with what yeah. he felt. Okay, good. That's really good. Um, okay. So what was the application process and interview like then? So some, lots of different schools wanted different things from you. So some schools wanted a CV, which is a bit unusual because in England you don't really send your CV off if you yeah, want to work in yeah. school, do you? Um, so we had to write that. Uh, some schools had a proper formal application process. The, the school I end up working for, they have a website and it's a full application. You know, you've got lots of uh, personal statements to write, mm-hmm. questions to answer, that kind of thing. And then on top of that, they want a CV mm-hmm. to uh, complement it as well. Um, but lots. So for me, for us, our interview once we got an email to say we'd like to interview you was through uh, Skype. Mm-hmm. Whereas we've, you know, we know people who had to go to London to go mm-hmm. and have a proper formal meeting down there. We know people who've had to film themselves teaching and send that off mm-hmm. along with um, a Skype interview. Yeah. So I think it depends on sort of where they are in the recruitment process for certain schools. Um, the comp- I know for, the, for a fact the company that I work with, they're recruiting all year round. And we applied sort of in March and that's quite late on in the recruitment process. They actually start recruiting new teachers from sort of like October. Mm-hmm. Um, for the next September. Yeah, yeah. You have to kind of make the decision in that October whether you're going to stay or go. Right, because it takes such a long time. Yeah. And do they only recruit teachers from the UK at that school or? No, no, we had a friend who worked 
left in Albania. Mm -hmm. uh, they take on teachers who obviously want to move from other countries. Mm -hmm. They've already been international for a while. Because uh, the company that I worked for is so large, they actually like to keep in their pool almost sometimes. So, you know, if they've got ch teachers working in, in China, for example, who apply there, then, you know, happy to interview you because they know you already work within the company. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. It generally is English-speaking people, though. So Australia, America, and the UK were kind of favourite. But if you, you know, had English as a second language and you were fluent, there was yeah. no reason why you couldn't apply. So say, obviously, if you did come from Albania, what about your experience of teaching, say, the British curriculum? I don't know, to be honest. I didn't actually ask her yeah, that. Because normally the British well schools, the aren't they, they follow the English national curriculum? And... Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, I think she had worked in schools herself where... She followed maybe the American curriculum as well. I suppose you can turn your hand, especially if there's other people who can help you out as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting because there might be people who think, well, I can't do that because of X, Y, and Z, but actually sometimes maybe you can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. If, you can, if you can move from Albania to teach in a school, which is actually like teaching in an English school, then you can, it can be done. It can be done, it? yeah. yeah. Um, how much preparation was involved then in getting ready to move abroad? <laughs> so quite, quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> when... Um, we accepted the job. We got sent a lot of documentation on PDFs from um, the HR at the school. And we got sent a checklist, basically, this is what you need to be doing and this is how long you have to do it. Mm -hmm. So there was things like printing off, signing and sending back your contract, that needed to be done pretty sharpish. Mm -hmm. You needed to apply for a visa, go and collect the visa. So that meant traveling to Hull, mm -hmm. taking a day out to go and pick it up there, coming back. There was, a lot of back and forth, you mm -hmm. know, constant like, have you, have, you, have you got your birth certificate? You have to dig that out of yeah, some yeah. box somewhere. Yeah. And we needed to send off driving licenses, we needed to send off passport. Like, Did you drive when you were over there then? Yes, yeah. That were something else we had to organise because you need to get an international licence and then when you're there you have to get an actual licence. And right, okay. So there was a lot of making sure you had enough photographs, making sure you had enough money to yeah, yeah. do all this then yeah. they sent us information about flights and about accommodation um did they pay for the flights yeah right. yeah the agreement is they pay for your flight out and your flight back right okay um and they also they don't pay for your accommodation but they f help you find your initial place to stay okay yeah um so we had to sort of choose what was best for us and, and yeah. we originally wanted to stay on on the campus but then we got in touch and they were like we well, actually we prefer families to move on to campus because what they also offer is um places for your children at the mm -hmm. schools right, that because okay. it, uh, it was a private school yeah so they would pay for the tuition for up to i think it was two children mm -hmm. and the uniform and everything wow, else yeah. that went with it so it was really good incentive to like get families, families to go out there yeah yeah, yeah. so i think we we didn't have very long, March, April, May, June. We had about four or five months to get it all sorted and ready. But once you got the ball rolling, it, yeah, yeah. it goes pretty quick and it wasn't too stressful just remembering. So what month did you work. actually fly out in then? August. August. And did you start school in August? Or? Yeah, we flew out on we flew out on the 13th, I think, and then we pretty much started, the which was a Friday, and we started the Monday. So it wasn't so much, the kids weren't in, it was yeah. like a... To, no, it was a week induction process um, with lots of different insets, getting to know and meet mm -hmm. different members of staff. The um, 
current staff didn't start and back until the Wednesday that week. So we had two days tour of the building, getting to know SLT. Yeah. They would kind of like um, teach you a little bit about the local area as well, and give you some hints and tips about where to go. Mm-hmm. And then on Wednesday, that's when everyone came in and it was, you know, business and getting on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you have time to like plan then? Is that when you started planning or yeah. had you done all that before? Yeah, you'd meet your team and then that's when you sort of started planning. Mm-hmm. Um, before that actually, my uh, head of year had been in touch and just sort of said, this is yeah, okay, yeah. the things we're going to do. But there was no expectation to arrive with planning planning already done. Um, and um, the children, where were they actually from? Were they all Thai children or...? Um, there was quite a large group of uh, Thai children at our school, but... Um, they come from all over, like there was children from Australia, New Zealand, uh, some children from Germany, lots of Russian children. And sort of towards the back end of our first year, lots of children were coming over from China mm-hmm. as well. So there was a really large mix of children with all varying different abilities of speaking English, okay. which was interesting. Yeah, I'm sure that was like one of your biggest challenges. <laughs> yeah. um, Okay, so what were the financial implications of what you did then? Uh, well, luckily for us, the school pay for flights, mm-hmm. um, but they give you sort of like a living allowance. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like, this is how much money we're going to put towards your rent. And it kind of just came through with a wage, but on your bank uh, payslip it said living allowance. So you kind of mm-hmm. could work out how much you had to spend on accommodation before you got there. But I do know that from other people who I've met before, they've said, actually, we had to pay for our own flights. We had to pay for our own visas. And we had to pay for our own visas as well. So there is some... How much did the visas cost? They're not that expensive. I think it might be like £50, something. That's really good because I think a visa here, if you've been here five years and then you want to go for permanent residency, I can't remember, it depends which country you're from, but I think somebody, I know it's costing around five grand. It's, oh. you know, yeah, this is it. So you think 50, 50 quid, that's not no, a lot. But then obviously it's not a permanent visa either, is it? So it's, no. yeah. it's only for a short time. So don't quote me on those exact figures, but I know two people who have, who have looked at it and it's been very expensive. Yeah, no, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. anything like that. Well, that's good to know because obviously if you're not going to be doing it permanently as well, you don't want it to be, you know, really expensive. No. Um, okay, so what were the similarities then and differences between teaching in the UK and then abroad? Um, I think the biggest difference is sort of that work-life balance and um, the way you can actually spend your free time. Like at the school, like I said earlier on, there were specialist teachers who could teach. They would teach music, PE, swimming, MFL and um, Thai, it was, it's part of the conditions of children coming to the country and, and being there mm-hmm. in that school. They have to learn Thai, it's part Which of is, Thai law. I think really important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's right. It should yeah. definitely be what they were learning. And um, when the children had those lessons, they would go to those classes or that building where those lessons were held. And that meant you had more free time to get on with planning, get on with marking, get on with your teaching mm-hmm. stuff. So like every day you'd have at least an hour mm-hmm. to do some work, which meant, you know, you could finish really early. Yeah. We were finished for like four past four, unless we had a club to run, which you were expected to do once a week. So that meant that we got lots of stuff done. So we were free on the evenings, we were free most weekends. 
And then because of where we lived, the location, we could go away to an island for a weekend mm -hmm. and it cost next to nothing and yeah. it would take no time to get there and then, you know, you're on a beach chilling with a cocktail yeah. for five yeah. o'clock on a yeah. Friday for a whole weekend. Um, and we would do that very often with the friends that we made out there and it was just so much... You weren't, you didn't have Sunday dread, you know, you weren't mm -hmm. coming home thinking, oh gosh, I've got loads to prepare. It was done and ready for the next week. Mm -hmm. uh, and your evenings, you could be more social and go and see your friends or, you know, we lived in a big condo building with a pool and yeah. you know, we'd sit by that on an evening. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, some days really it felt like you were on holiday. And I'm kind of thinking, <laughs> why did you come back? <laughs> um, yeah, it sounds amazing. Yeah, it really was. I'm trying to think why I did come back now. <laughs> no, <laughs> some, to um, work here, of course. <laughs> of course, of course, it's my calling. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, yeah, it did. Sometimes you have to remember. Sometimes you weren't on holiday, and yeah, you know, you you didn't see your friends and family from home yeah. very often, and you know, there was that element to it. So that was a big difference. Yeah, yeah, just having. Loads of fun. <laughs> yeah, and, and just having that time. And, and yeah. that's a really interesting point because it's one thing I say about life-work balance. It's all right giving teachers all these little tips, but what they actually need is time. Yeah. They don't need yoga. They don't need, you know, other than made to go. So they don't need um, little tips of, oh, well, put all the open books in a pile. Yeah, they're great tips, but that's actually not going to be life-changing. What they actually need is time. Yeah. They need to be given more time. Um, okay, thank you. So, um, just loads more questions, basically. <laughs> um, so, how did you cater for the different needs of the children in your class? Then, you know, what did they have a set way of doing differentiation? Or no, it was uh, very much the same as what I imagine lots of schools are. Whereas, you know, you you know the children in your mm -hmm. class, and you differentiate how you think is appropriate for them. I mean, there was um, a whole department that they did call learning support, whereas if you flagged up, you know, someone who you thought this child needs some sort of intervention, they need some sort of, you know, mm -hmm. some extra help, you could say to those members of staff, can you come and observe this child? I think this is something they need help with mm -hmm. and see what you think. So, you know, on a morning they, they would run interventions and, you know, some lessons they would come and be additional support for certain children or they'd take, you know, different individuals out. So there was that to additional support for those children mm -hmm. um then there was the eal team who would take children who really had no english mm -hmm. at that point mm -hmm. and they were phenomenal because some of the children would come to us with absolutely not a word of english mm -hmm. at all and by christmas you know they could write full sentences they wow. could speak and have proper conversations mm -hmm. um so, and the, the idea was they would take these children and spend maybe a term and a half with them and then slowly introduce them into the class. Into the lessons, yeah. yeah. Um, and then obviously they'd give you help with how to uh, help them in class and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was all really good. Um, and then it was just up to you how you did it. That's amazing. Um, so did you feel supported then by SLT and, and TAs? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The TAs did um same thing that TAs in this country do, you know, they help displays, they help with small groups. Mm -hmm. Um lots of the TAs at the school were actual like local people. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that was good because if there was an issue language-wise, like in my second year, the class was made up, the majority of them were Thai. Mm -hmm. And the rule is you speak English in lessons and mm -hmm. lots of them didn't. And Definitely. it got to a point where she came in and yelled at them in Thai right, yeah, <laughs> to make okay. them listen yeah. and actually do what they were told. And she was telling me all the time, like, this is what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. So it, we worked together as a team to yeah. clamp down on that behaviour as well. So um, what was the behaviour like then? Be oh, behaviour. The biggest problem we had was children just sort of being not independent, being sort of dependent on you to do things for them. Right, okay. So, uh, like... If they drop something, they'd kind of expect you to be the person to pick it up. All oh, right. Because wow. they come from the children at our school. Not all of them, but quite a lot of them come from quite privileged backgrounds. Yes, I see. So they They're had all nannies about and lower, lower than them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had like nannies and drivers and cooks and that kind of yeah. thing at home. And you know what they didn't do, their parents would do for them. Yeah. So they didn't have many, you know, responsibilities. Yeah. So we had to sort of teach them to look after their belongings look after the school's belongings as well look after the environment which was a big thing in like the curriculum and stuff so you know we did like um a lot of work with other schools who maybe didn't have as much as these children um to just make them sort of see how lucky and fortunate they were yeah yeah uh, which was always a good experience and they got a lot out of it we, we did a lot of uh, fundraising as well mm -hmm. for local charities so that was probably the biggest challenge. There wasn't much in like, it was just low level stuff after that really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not talking in the right language. Yeah, yeah, I see. Um, so Laura wants to know, how was the school day structured? Pretty much the same as uh, school days I'm used to in the UK. So we'd start probably about quarter to nine, if I remember rightly. Then you'd have sort of 10, 15 minutes registration. Um, then you'd go straight in with your first lesson, which was usually English. Um, then you have playtime, about 15 minutes, and the rule was no hat, no play, no fun today, because it's hot out in Thailand, so you need a hat and oh, a water okay, bottle. Yeah. Um, then it would be the next lesson, which is usually maths. Did you have to make sure that they all had sun cream on and things as well? Not really, no. They they were kind of expected to do that kind of thing for themselves. We kind of just made sure they had a no hat, hat and a water yeah. bottle. What, um, what kind of temperatures were there? <laughs> they could be sort of 28 anything from 28 degrees up to 40 40 plus 28 degrees is probably my max <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i wouldn't Mine do well, well with starting with that <laughs> no it's very hot and very humid yeah so straightening my hair was a no-go <laughs> yeah yeah hair up all the time always curly always up. yeah 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 um and like yeah you I'd have to wear sun cream. Yeah, yeah. You know, but a lot of the children were fine. Yes, because obviously they're from there, they're used to it. Um the another thing was it rained a lot. Like proper uh, right, yeah. thunderstorms. Yeah, yeah. So we had something called the the lightning monitor. Oh, okay, right, yeah. So you'd have to take that out onto the playground with you. And that would sort of tell you if there was a storm in the local area. Yeah. And if the storm was within sort of like ten metres you would have to get the children inside. Right. Um, if you saw, and obviously if it's not... Because there's a danger that children might get struck by lightning. Yeah. Wow. A real, a real danger of it as well. It did yeah. happen to someone at a different school. So they were taking it very, very seriously. Yeah. And if they... <laughs> there was always a lot of debate. You know, we, we might see a flash of lightning and go, 
should we get them in? And yeah. someone with their monitor might go, well, it doesn't say it's anywhere near. And we're right, kind of okay. like, come well, on. Well, let's just try. Just be on safe side. Yeah. Go inside. <laughs> and it could be quite scary if it was like right overhead. Yeah. I remember it being right overhead and, and there was like a flash of lightning in the playground and like the electricity went off. Yeah. And that would happen quite a lot. The electrics yeah. would go off, the internet would go down. You couldn't have the air con on. And we means... think we have challenges here. <laughs> Next time you're thinking the class and just not behaving, think... think you could be struck by lightning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. It's so interesting. Thank you. What were the school holidays like then? Pretty much the same, although October you got two additional weeks off. Well, no, you got two weeks off. At Christmas you got three weeks off. Um, and then in the summer... Did you get eight weeks instead of six? No, we got. I think we got six. Right. Did we get one? I'm trying to think if we got one less to make up for Christmas, but I think it was the same, actually. I think it was six weeks. Yeah, okay. You finished earlier, but you started earlier as well. Mm-hmm. So, like, we, we were back at work in August. Yeah. Um, Which, for me, is, is an August baby, like... When's your birthday in August? 28th of August. Oh, yeah. Real danger of uh, having that back at school. I'd hate that. I'm also in August. <laughs> yeah, I would not like that. I also think no, September is when school should start. Yeah. Um, okay, so how were the schools funded then? Was it all private funding? Um, our school was, and I think a lot of the schools for that company are private schools. So parents pay. Yeah. And obviously you mentioned to me before that it was actually a boarding school. Did you have any responsibilities in terms of borders? Yeah, so teachers were expected to um, spend some time with the boarders in the boarding house. So um, we did two hours after school for, I think it must have been about 10 weeks in a row, uh, where we were expected to help the children. Two hours after school, two hours after school every night for 10 weeks? No, just one week. Right, uh, sorry, okay. one day a week for right. those 10 weeks. Um and we just basically helped them with their homework. Yeah. But that was like in addition to, because you also were told you were contracted to do a, what they called a CCA, which just meant after school club. Right, okay. Um, so you had to do them. And I think I did, I actually did two. So there were some additional responsibilities after school, but it, the p- extra Because you had the extra time, time. It made up for it. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't a, it didn't feel like a burden. It was actually fun. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think, most teachers would be that bothered if they managed to do half eight till half four. No. You no. know, they're not asking, you know, to do three hours a day, are they? They're just wanting it to fit into everybody else's work time. Um, okay, so was there an inspection system in place? Uh, while we were there, the school was inspected by a, a body, but the pressure was nowhere near as sort of the amount of people feel over here with mm-hmm. offset coming in. So there is, an in, there is an inspection. There is obviously someone keep, keeping check, making sure things are going how they should be, but it's nowhere near as in, intense and mm-hmm. And did the school do okay? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so how many hours on a week on average did you actually work, do you think? Yeah, just going for half plus seven, finish four o'clock, half plus four. How many is that? Eight hours, isn't it? Eight nine hours in your life. What time is it? It's like chocolate o'clock. Yeah, I think about forty-five hours a week, thereabouts. But but not seventy. Not seventy. Not seventy. Yeah. No, people have this like 
misconception that you're going to go abroad and it's going to be like you're not going to do anything you're going to finish at 3 30 every day yeah and it's not like that at all you know you are still expected to do planning you're still expected to mark it's all the same job you are just given more time to do it yeah and yeah. i think that's the main thing and that's that's would be the perfect answer here wouldn't yeah it really yeah that would be the perfect answer here um but i can completely see the draw yeah um especially if you you know i'm such a homebird i i wouldn't want to sort of move abroad unless everyone was moving abroad with me <laughs> yeah um but then i consider it yeah um you know it's nice to have the nicer weather but just for the life work balance yeah at the end of the day. i mean we went um both me and luke are like home birds we did say oh we're gonna miss his friends we're gonna miss his family but the opportunities that you get out there to to travel as it's well for a short time as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You've already answered quite a few of the questions about life work balance and everything. Uh, so Kath wants to know what was the pay like compared to the UK? For the school that we worked at, the pay was relatively the same. So for me, I didn't take a pay cut or anything like that. Um, Luke, on the other hand, did a little bit, but you know, it was swings and roundabouts. Cost the cost of living was so much cheaper. Yeah. Like I was saying earlier on how. Once we'd done our numbers and worked it out, we actually could afford to save one person's wage and ended up yeah. saving one person's wage to use to buy a house when we got back. Yeah, yeah. I do know that other people have had different experiences. Like in a different part of Thailand, a friend of mine got paid a local wage, which is really not a lot, like yeah. in £16,000, something like that a year. Okay, yeah. But again, the cost of living meant that she could live on that quite comfortably. Yeah, yeah. And then when she went to move and work at the school that we were at, obviously yeah. this sudden double of wage was like, oh, wow, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I know that we had a friend who lived in Hong Kong and then he went to live in Singapore. And um, because the cost of living out there is so much more, the wage was so much more. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't save anything because he spent it all on living yeah yeah so it would depend on sort of the different countries on where you were and how sensible you were i yeah. guess as well you know yeah. you need to be sensible with it but i probably would have sort of clocked a little thing like you did like hang on a minute yes we might be being paid the same but we could save here yeah um and it could just help me for your future um did you have to manage any subjects um not me, not me personally but i do know that some people took on that responsibility. I think it was a fairly new idea over there because they had, um, they didn't have a lead for English or maths or anything like right, that. It okay. was kind of like an SLT responsibility. And then in the, I believe it was the second year I was there, they actually offered people to apply for the role of English lead, mm -hmm. maths lead. And did they get any extra money for that? I think there might have been a little bit, but not not loads. Not loads and loads and loads. No, but they did get a bit of extra time as well, which again is always, you know, I'd rather have time than the money sometimes. That's yeah, what oh, I've well, had yeah. a few people say. Absolutely. Wouldn't we all now, really? That's <laughs> yeah. why people go part-time as well, because well, yeah. they want the weekends, not even the days that they technically have off. Um, what were the rewards and sanctions like then? Um, you know, were there any other sanctions you could implement because it was a different country? I'm not talking about the real or honest. <laughs> um, to be completely honest I think that's probably one of the things I did have a little bit of a problem with at my school in particular was there wasn't much of a behaviour policy right I mean you didn't you didn't really need one because the kids were actually really lovely um, and you could you were entitled to come up with your own sort of system in your own class mm -hmm. so you know 
keeping them in five minutes, whatever worked for you. Mm -hmm. um, but there wasn't a consistent approach across the school. So like, as I said earlier about the no hat rule, if you don't have a hat, you shouldn't be entitled to go out and play. So like some children sat on the step, that's where they were meant to sit, but some teachers would sit with them and play games and read with them and keep it fun. Whereas some teachers were like, nope, if you didn't bring your hat, we're not having any fun. You're going to sit there and watch them have fun. Yeah. And it's a bit like, oh, well. Consistency. Which, yeah, which approach do we need to take? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel that the children treated you differently from the native teachers? Uh, from what other sort of Thai members of staff have told me, like teachers out there, regardless of where they're from, are respected. Um, education is a you to pick the pencils off. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the parents would sort of make up for it in that respect. If you told your, these parents that that's what their child was doing, they would be like, "What? What are you doing? You respect your teacher." Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, education is really valued out there, and teachers mm -hmm. are really respected, regardless of what school they're teaching. I, I think a lot of schools out there, um, people have to pay to send their children mm -hmm. to school. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't find I was treated any differently. In fact, some in some cases, you know, parents were coming in with gifts and, mm -hmm. you know, they couldn't praise you enough at parents' evening mm -hmm. and thank you enough. So there was a lot of respect, actually, yeah. out there. Yeah, well, that's good. And, and good that they had that respect for the native teachers as well and not just sometimes it can be a case of, um, oh, the teachers have come from abroad to save us. Yeah. Um, you know, and valuing their own, their own teachers as well, I guess, is important. Yeah. I think from what I can gather, a lot of people, a lot of parents chose to send their children to our school because of what, you know, the benefits of learning English and maybe leaving Thailand to go study elsewhere. Yes. Whereas if, you know, they, they learned in a Thai school, they wouldn't necessarily pick up the language skills to take anywhere else. As well, yeah, yeah. And I suppose, you know, it is really important to have a language, especially English. It does open up yeah. a lot of opportunities yeah. um, in a lot of influential countries, I guess. So you've kind of touched on this, but what was the parental support like? Yeah, lots of lots of parental support from lots of uh, different parents from different backgrounds. Um, they come in and do what they called green grub on a Friday and they'd cook and make things for the children to buy on a Friday. I love Thai food. Oh, yeah. That's one of the best bits about being out there. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised it didn't come out like a, a massive house because I just love to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all full of sugar. and the, the way they make it is just full of sugar and sweet syrupy sauce and oh, it's yeah. so good. But... but I love the fact that it's spicy as well. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh, yeah. Oh, you've been, <laughs> been your face off. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you'd get... Um, there'd be the odd family who would sort of be busy with work and that's, that was some of the challenges as well. Like sometimes you couldn't get hold of certain parents because they did work hard to send their children to the school and mm -hmm. pay for these yeah. nice things that the kids had and stuff. So it wasn't always brilliant, but mm -hmm. um, generally really good support from parents. Basically on the side of the teacher rather than against the teacher. Yeah. Which I think is important and something that we've lost to some extent here yeah. in the UK. Not in every school, but in a lot of schools. Yeah. Um, so obviously you've mentioned already that um, you couldn't understand the children, so you obviously were not fluent. No. Uh, which is one of the questions I've got here. But did you have any understanding of the language before you went? Or? Not really, no. I, I probably learned how to say hello. Mm -hmm. How um, do you say hello? Sawadee ka. 
Sawadika. So I've learned some Thai today. <laughs> well, if you're a woman, you would say, and you have to sort of put your hands up like that. Mm -hmm. So we call this a why. Okay. And the higher the why, the more respect you have for that person. So for like me and you in the street, we'd put our thumbs to our sort of nose. Yeah. Not 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 like that, but like Yeah, yeah. Nose high. Yeah. But you'd see like monks walking down the street and things like that. And if you were to go and speak to them, you would have to have your hands like that. Up there. And then you'd sort of bow down. So you'd go, Sawadika. Whereas the men would do the same, but they wouldn't say Sawadika. They'd say Sawadika. All right. Okay. Don't know why. It's just what they put on the end of sentences and phrases. Yeah, it's similar. in a lot of different languages where it's different for females and males. Yeah. Wow, thank you. I'm glad I've been schooled today. <laughs> you need to watch it on the YouTube video if you're listening on the podcast, if you want to see how to greet somebody to do in Thai. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so did you feel like the language barrier did affect your teaching in any other ways than the children chatting in, in Thai? Um, I think it could be quite... It could be quite frustrating to try and get the children to use the past and the present tense mm -hmm. because the Thai language is actually, if I remember, it's all present. Mm -hmm. So getting the children to learn how to write in the past is was a really big challenge. How did, you, how did you find that out? I mean, was it the TA explaining that to you when you did your induction? Did they say, look, the, this is what the Thai language is, so you're going to find these things hard? How, mm -hmm. how did... You get that knowledge. It was just literally me reading every single piece of writing and thinking, right, these are the Thai children. They haven't used the ED at the end of any of their words. What's why? And I sort of would speak to them and listen to them. And they, when they spoke as well, they wouldn't use the past tense mm -hmm. either. So I did get talking to a lot of other teachers and yeah, yeah. like, why is this? And they were just like, the language just isn't in the past. Right, okay. They don't think about the past, obviously. So Yeah. <laughs> Everything's in the present. Yeah, everything's in the Didn't present. Talk about the future ever. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. I'm just trying. To, I'm remembering one little boy. Are we? Are we doing this today, Miss Jade? <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's the future. <laughs> okay. Um. So, do you feel that the children relish the opportunity to be speaking English? You know, did they? Did they understand the importance of what the parents were trying to give them by making sure that they learn English to such a degree as well? Um. If it depended on the child. I think some children did. Uh, some children loved to try and speak and uh, loved to show off their skills and what they learned. And were they good at English? Lots of them were really, really good, yeah. yeah. Considering how long a lot of them had been learning it for as well, they really picked up on it. Mm -hmm. um, I remember this one young lad who, who joined uh, from, from China in my second year and he had absolutely no... English whatsoever but he was phenomenal at maths you could put anything in front of him and he could do it and I remember he was a bit of a bit of a bit of a terror bless him mm -hmm. so you know I'd have to take him out and try and have conversations with him in Chinese and like I was there with my <laughs> Google Translate yeah, yeah. trying to get it through to him but eventually one day he'd been going for his EAL lessons and he came in and we were able to have a Bold conversation, like, do you understand you've done something wrong? Yes, Miss Jade, I'm sorry, Miss Jade, I won't do it again. I'm like, oh my goodness. So they called you by your first name? Yes, that was a bit of a weird shock, actually. Yeah. Because uh, obviously being Miss Rainer for so long, to be called Miss Jade. Yeah. And then some teachers were by their surname, some teachers were by their first name. Then they tried to introduce this rule where every teacher would must be addressed by their first name. But a lot of the male teachers didn't, like that because so did you get a choice in it or 
they could have kept changing the role, but I think, yeah, I got a choice in it. And I thought, oh, well, Miss Jade might be easier yeah, for yeah. them to say than Miss Rayner. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think it was. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it did get annoying after a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose it must just be very different when you're not used to it. I remember when I went from Miss Huddleston to Mrs Riley, and I'm like, who are you talking to? Oh, yeah. it's me. It's me, yeah. Oh. It's me. <laughs> and then when you hear your own name so many times in a day. It means nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, get me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so I wonder then with that boy, maybe he was just really able, and but he couldn't communicate. So maybe yeah. he was really good he at Chinese, was desperate to communicate as well. And I think that was the thing that really pushed him into sort of learning the language. He wanted to explain himself. He wanted to talk to the other children. Because yeah. in, cl- in our class in particular, there was no other Chinese children apart from one other girl who did join mm-hmm. eventually. But she, again, was like him. She didn't have any um, English. Um, but then, because he, he did love school so much yeah. that mum did end up putting him in the boarding house. So not only was he trying to learn English, he was living with so many Thai children. That he couldn't communicate with. That he couldn't communicate with. So he was picking up Thai at a really rapid pace as well. And like he was just really, really bright. Mm -hmm. And he was just like a sponge. In the playground then, was the role that they had to speak in English or not? No, in the playground they could speak whatever whatever language they wanted. wanted. But it did create little pockets of children who sort of you know the Thai children would sometimes just stick with the Thai children yeah, yeah. um so we tried to find ways around that you mm-hmm. know like trying to get them all to play games together together and, and, and us leading it and also learn from each other as well yeah um because I guess if you are Chinese and you go to Thailand then you want to learn Thai as well don't you <laughs> yeah yeah which would be really good um so obviously you um are now at Classroom Secrets um, so you've stepped out of the classroom. Do you think you'd ever go back into teaching? Um, I don't know, to be perfectly honest. I haven't really thought that far ahead. Uh, the way I felt at the end of the last year, not having any time, yes. just constantly being busy. I've... Especially knowing what it's like somewhere else. That must be really a knife in the back. <laughs> Sometimes we, we did sit there, me and my husband, and go, remember when we used to live abroad and we didn't have to do any of this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. already done. Yeah. Um, but... We have talked about maybe in the future, like when we have children, because the opportunities out there for ch- children are so much greater than what we can offer in the UK. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, we took some children to a sporting competition in Phuket. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't do that here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we just thought maybe in the future we'd consider going abroad again. Yeah, yeah. Giving the children those opportunities. That'd be amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, I ask everyone this question, but if you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life-work balance problem for teachers in the UK? I've been thinking about this all morning because I knew this question was coming and I think, <laughs> thinking about my thought process, I think giving schools more money would help that because if we give the schools more money, they can afford to employ people to give the teachers more time, mm-hmm. which is what we had out in Thailand. Yeah, I guess really though, it, you know, it's giving money but also with the stipulation that this is what it has to be spent yeah. on. Yeah. It has to be spent on teachers having more time and maybe having that hour every day yeah and um, I mean somebody um, I think it was Beth Sutton last week she said a, day, a day's PPA and and I feel like that wouldn't quite touch the surface but do you know what it's double what we have now yeah and it would definitely help wouldn't it yeah absolutely yeah okay um right so who was your favorite teacher and why oh 
I think I'm gonna have to say my favourite teacher was my secondary English teacher and I had a for one year in English in secondary and I had a one year when I was doing my A levels and that's Miss Crew. She was just so funny. Just made English so fun and she just knew her stuff. Like she made it look really, really easy. And she just could talk and have proper mature conversations with you about language, about the text you're reading or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And she had a really no-nonsense approach to her lessons as well. So she had no time for people messing around and she would tell them so. And I just admired that, like, I don't care attitude. I'm just going to, you're not important unless you're learning. Mm -hmm. You know, let's learn and let's do it right. I guess as somebody in the class who really does want to learn, that kind of helps you knowing that, the teachers on your side yeah um, and that you know you're doing you're being rewarded in a way for doing the right thing yeah I guess yeah and the I, kids actually did you know once she'd sort of been like come on get a grip now generally they would because I think a lot of people a lot of children had a lot of respect for her because she knew her stuff yeah yeah and she would no nonsense yeah um okay did you experience any culture shock when you sort of moved <laughs> to, the, to Thailand. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, just uh, the way everything is done out there is totally different. You know, um, health and safety is completely lax. <laughs> you know, we used to get in buses and like little minivans, and there'd be no seatbelts, but they'd be the remains of what was once a seatbelt. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was just yeah, whatever. Um, People will drive with their phones. It's not against the law to do that, which yeah. is frightening when you're in a taxi. Yeah. Um, there's lots of. How did you find driving over there then? I mean, I'm really surprised that when you when I asked you earlier and you said, "Yeah, I drive," and I was thinking, "Really? You got in a car? <laughs> okay." It was, it was frightening. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't do as much driving as I'd care to admit. Like Luke did a lot of it because yeah. the roads out there are just insane. It's it, it's a free for all. Just yeah. yeah, you know, they're not bothered about. What anybody else is doing, they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. And lots of the roads were not in very good condition as well. So, you know, they'd be driving these really huge, over-the-top jeeps and vans and things like that. And they would just be going over these bumps and things. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what what yeah, is going yeah. on? Uh, so that was, yeah. Did you have to drive to get to school? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so Luke did a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just a passenger. Um what else there was lots of strange little cultural differences as well like we learned in the first couple of days we were there from the Thai staff who put on like a little bit of get to know Thailand CPD mm-hmm. that it's rude to point with your feet and I was like when do you ever point with your feet and then I thought well actually in the supermarket pointing at you know you've got your hands full pointing at what you want on the bottom yeah, shelf and I thought oh that's rude then and I know I've worked out why it's it's because they're it's a Buddhist nation, mm-hmm. so uh, the feet are seen as like the lowest point of the body. So if you're pointing with it, it's disrespectful. Okay. Um, I'm hoping that's correct. Yeah, <laughs> but, but um, that's why you think it that's is. That's why we yeah that's sort of what we all thought because it's rude to like sit with your feet like that. Okay. You can't really see what I'm doing, but because yeah. if you're pointing your feet, it's just rude. Right. Okay. Um. We also learned that it's rude to point with your fingers as well. Like when they wanted children's attention, they would go like that, um, not like that. Yeah, okay. I don't really know why that one is, but that's. And yeah. when you're a teacher, you know, well, you, you might need do to a lot know of that pointing. because you're probably just going to go come here, right? Yeah, like yeah, that. But that's oh, you point. Bad, just bad manners, apparently. And I just think my 15 month old, that's all she does now. 
<laughs> just do that. You put the music on, that's how she dances. Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and I think just getting, like, ordering things and living your life out there is quite hard. It's not hard. When you went to a restaurant, did different. you find that it was in um, English as well, or did you kind of have to guess? Um, some places they would they they would like print the menu in English or there'd be pictures, but you know we'd have a good laugh at like poorly translated root words. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to think of an example. So like if you wanted fries, they would write the word fried, and it's yeah, just yeah, small yeah. little things like that. You think, oh, we know what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. That's really kind. You didn't have to do that at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah, We're yeah. guests in your country. Um, so we kind of learned the words for. You know certain things just because it was easier to to ask for them in to Thai. ask for it in yeah, Thai. Yeah. And did you because the cost of living was low? Did you eat quite out quite a lot? Or yeah, in fact, it would cost more to buy the ingredients, take them home, cook them. When you think about it, the electric and the water and things like that, it was more expensive to do that than to just go up the road. So you basically ate out every night. It sounds like my dream life. I think I need to look into this. It's really good. You could Forget costume to... secrets. <laughs> you could go to some places and we'd probably spend about three quid, maybe five, if we had beers on top and we'd have a few things to eat from and a couple of beers and sorted. There was a lot of food sharing. Yeah, so like yeah, you'd yeah. order things and you'd share off the plates. Sounds like amazing. You know, to love eating out, but obviously there's no time now to this. <laughs> Nobody wants to babysit both kids at one and three. I don't know why that is. <laughs> I mean, it can't be that much work. No, fair <laughs> How did you feel about being away from home? Uh, you know, did you feel homesick? Or... Um, I think this is one of the things that a lot of people do think about. And I think as soon as they get there, they're going to feel homesick. And something that we were told is moving out there, it's... a tidal wave of emotions you're going to come yeah. out and it's going to be the best thing you've ever done in the first couple of weeks you're going to be on a high you're just going to be like look at how amazing my life yeah. is now and then in a few weeks you're going to dip massively because that's when you're going to start to think oh i'd love to do this with so-and-so but cannot yeah, and yeah, you know yeah. you realize that you miss these people mm-hmm. and you know, it's going to come back up again eventually. I suppose it's even just the same as going to uni. I remember feeling homesick after two weeks at uni. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's exactly like that, actually, because we all sort of, like, our cohort of new staff made really good friends with each other. We, yeah. Lots of us are still in touch now. You know, uh, a few of them came to our wedding. One of them was a bridesmaid. Mm-hmm. And... Um, like it was just like freshers week we were like where are we going to go out there tonight what are we going to do where are we going to yeah, go yeah, yeah. um so it was that madness and then eventually it sort of petered out and it was like oh, okay this is life now we're not yeah, on holiday yeah. yeah yeah but you you do get used to it you get into we got i got into a bit of routine of maybe yeah, speaking yeah. to my mum every now and again yeah yeah um i did find not getting in touch was almost better than getting in touch because you appreciated the conversations that you had and you didn't feel like if something went wrong I had to fall back on talking to family you know I could talk to the people that were there yeah yeah so we kind of created this like support network for each other which probably meant we didn't experience homesickness as much as maybe people who didn't have that support network to fall back on now that you've come back do you feel like um you know that you've got the relationship back that you had um with your family or is it different yeah I mean I see my mum Every week we go running together. Yeah. Um, my brother lives in Manchester, but I see him fairly often. You know, I, I didn't see my grandma for two years, but now I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Luke, 
his dad didn't fly. Um, his sister doesn't like flying, so he, he didn't see his family the entire time we were out there, apart from the week we came back. So he's been able to like spend more time with his family and his niece and nephew as well. You know, his, ne his niece was just in year six when we left, and you know now his nephew's just finished his GCSEs, so he's he's missed a fair chunk. So he's glad to be back and have have that, that relationship as well. again. Yeah. yeah. Um, what persuaded you to come back to the UK then? Um, I think lots of just sort of little things like we, like I said, we got engaged, so it was like we're going to come back and get married, and we thought, well, we've got the money. Like Luke actually owned a house, mm -hmm. um, and the renting, being a landlord, was a nightmare for him. In the end, it was uh, really hard work. Be. So um, he was like, I want to go home and sort that out. Um, we wanted to buy a place of our own and potentially settle down with some kids. So we thought we we're going to do that in the UK and be with our family. Um, so yeah, just sort of little things like that, really. Yeah, just preparing for the next stage of your life. Yeah, really, aren't the new you? chapter, really. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you learn any key things that you actually have brought back to your practice? So sort of in the UK, but also like when you're creating resources and things like that. Um, well, a friend of mine taught me that the snipping tool exists. Yeah. And oh my word, that changed my life. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one little tiny thing. Um, but we did some a lot of CPD while we were out there. Uh, one of the things that they were really good at is pulling everyone's talents together and asking, is there any CPD you would like to deliver to the staff? Right, so okay. lots of people would volunteer. Like um, we had a PE one and she, Laura, who did it, was like, right, this is a technique that we use in PE but I want to show you how you could maybe use it in your own. So she introduces something called learning mats, which is quite a common thing in, in secondary PE by all accounts. But she said, this is what we use. Maybe you could adapt it in your mm -hmm. teaching. And I actually really liked that and thought, right, I'm going to use it. And a couple of us actually did use it for various different things. Mm -hmm. So I've used that before. Uh, we had some ICT, well, not ICT, like computing training. Uh, which meant like how to incorporate using technology in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So we learned about how we could use iPads, so lots of different programs and apps that's on there. Mm -hmm. We learned about uh, Microsoft Office and how it's not just Word and PowerPoint. It's mm -hmm. you know things like Teams. It's things like SharePoint. Yeah. Um, Sway. We made lots of Sways. Yes. Um, so a lot of that sort of stuff I, I loved and wanted to use back in my teaching yeah, yeah. in my other school but we unfortunately we, there just wasn't the resources yeah yeah but it's something that I would obviously use in my next placement if I ever were to go back into teaching yeah yeah um so you've already answered that you would teach abroad again in the future um do you think if you did go in the classroom that's where it is abroad rather than in the UK unless something significantly changed I've, I think that's my opinion at the minute yeah uh, I'd yeah. I just, after being out of the classroom, I'm a lot less anxious, I'm a lot less stressed, mm -hmm. I'm a better person at home, yeah. more supportive for my husband who is still a teacher, yeah, yeah. Um, and I see him getting a little bit, you know, he had offset in last week, Wow. and it was very stressful for him, and I was just thinking, I'm glad that I can be there for him, because mm -hmm. I'm not worried about what I'm doing yeah. at school. Yeah. So at the moment, unless there's been really big changes, I think I'm... Input. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I completely understand. Um, if you could teach anywhere in the world, then is there a particular place that you choose? 
when we were doing the traveling that we were doing while we were out there, we went to New Zealand and I absolutely love New Zealand. It is stunning. Um, so if we were going to go anywhere, I'd probably want to live there because mm -hmm. it's just, I can't even explain it. You know, you watch Lord of the Rings and you're like, I'm in the Lord of the Rings. Oh my goodness. It's yeah. so good. Um, and the people are just so lovely and friendly. So probably New Zealand. Yeah, and I think it's quite, it can be quite hard to pass to stay there, I think, can it? Mm. Um, I, think I do know some people who have moved out there um, and I remember them telling me, oh, you don't have to have car insurance, it's really cheap. <laughs> <laughs> because nobody has it, but I do. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, different way of life. Isn't yeah, it? completely. I think it's a lot more chill. Yeah, well, this is it, relaxed and, and slightly warmer as well. Yeah. Um, but also feels like home, I guess, because... I mean, that's where they film Lord of the Rings, isn't it? For a reason. Yeah. It, so green. <laughs> I do remember being there thinking, oh, this is a lot like being at home because everyone, I felt, I felt a bit more relaxed because people spoke English. Yeah. And I know that sounds really like, you went well, abroad, you should have learnt a bit more Thai maybe. And I did feel like that, but it's not an easy language to learn. And just coming away from it for a bit for a break just felt I also nice. think it can be hard because it's not really like you could go around the corner and go get a Thai lesson when you're in England. Yeah. And one thing I find, and I might have mentioned this on another podcast, um, so obviously um, we go to Serbia and actually I'd done quite a bit of learning Serbian. And when I go to Serbia, like Edward's family, yeah, they'll help me out. I go to Croatia, it's pretty much the same language. And they just reply to me in English. And I'm like, no, no, I'm trying to practice my Croatian and they just reply to me in English yeah like, yeah, yeah I, I know that love but you know I speak English better than you speak Croatian and um just let me practice <laughs> so I also as much as I think it's really important that we do look at languages it can also be difficult for us in that way I think because mm. everybody learns English so yeah. it's like no no you 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 don't worry about it <laughs> you don't need to I'll learn. practice it's fine you sit there yeah okay. yeah let me practice on you instead <laughs> Um, where do you think education needs to go in the next 10 years? We need to look after our teachers more. Yes. I mean, I know that we've probably covered that a hundred times, but we absolutely do because people are leaving teaching for one reason or another and there's people aren't going to want to go into it for the same reasons. And people are still having children. There are still children to be taught. Yeah. So we need to do that. We need to invest some money in it as well because, you know, I worked in a school that had no money yeah. and we're still expected to produce the same results we're still expected to have the same standard of classroom yeah, yeah. as everywhere else so i don't know where it needs to go but it needs to to, to have a lot more funding to have a lot more funding needs to be yeah looked after uh, what did you want to be when you grew up a primary school teacher really yeah i used to sit i used to <laughs> sit my teddies down and like write a little whiteboard and be, like teaching them a little lesson <laughs> Did you? Um, and then I wanted to be a rock star. I was going to say, did you um, in for greater depth in those lessons? <laughs> <laughs> no, if one of them talked to me about it, yeah, that's probably greater depth, really. Okay, well, thank you so much. It's been so interesting. I feel like I found out so much, and obviously, I want to teach abroad now, <laughs> um, just for the pool and going away for the weekend and having a life life work balance. Um, so I think this is going to be really useful because I know this question comes up so much in the Facebook groups and it's kind of like answer to all the questions. Um, so thank you so much. Well, on, on that though, can I just sort of say that it won't change everything. It will come with its own challenges and like 
Um, yeah, you, you, you do in, in the school that I worked at and a lot of teachers who I've worked with who I've worked abroad have said, yeah, you do sort of get more of a life-work balance, but there are other things to consider, mm -hmm. you know, like moving away. You might not necessarily like the country that you're in or yeah. you might find it challenging working at the school you're in. So it's it's all right saying teach abroad, but it's not... The answer to everything. The answer to everything. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's might keep you in teaching for a few more years if you're feeling that it's yeah. not for you, but it's not. It's absolutely worthwhile though if you're brave enough to do it and, and you find the right place. Yeah, and, and you, you want the right... to get that experience, I yeah. guess, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Super. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Perhaps now you are considering moving abroad or taking that leap for an amazing experience. And if you're brave enough, absolutely give it a go. I think the important thing to remember is to stay grounded though. As Jade said, it's still a job and you still have to work hard. And sometimes that can be the problem. We get sold on a dream. I know that in the past, some of my colleagues have been overly excited about the amount of time they are able to work from home but that soon dissipates when they realise that they still have to work in that time and it's not social time or cleaning time. It's easy for us to get carried away. That said, even if it keeps teachers in the profession two years longer than they would have been, adding to their own wealth of experience as well as the wider teaching profession, making a difference in children's lives wherever that may be and having the opportunity to travel and see different parts of the world, I can only see giving it a go as a positive thing. You'll find everything that Jade talked about in the show notes. Let me know which other experts you'd like to hear from and what you'd like me to ask them. If it's the first time that you're listening to the Teachers Podcast, check out our other episodes for some more great listens. We have been securing some more fantastic guests for you. And if you want to request that someone is on the podcast, then you can let us know in our Facebook group called The Teachers Podcast Community. The episode is now live on YouTube, so don't forget to subscribe to our channel. And did you love this episode? Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.